Well, good morning again, dear church. It's great to see you here this morning. Uh, last week, we finished uh, our, our fall study on the book of Jonah. And so today, we're beginning a new sermon series that we're calling Entrusted. Entrusted. And this is going to be a, a six-week, big-picture, Genesis-to-Revelation vision of the biblical concept of stewardship. stewardship. Now, before you groan and say, oh my gosh, six weeks, I'm, I'm coming back in December after this guy. Now, listen, listen, uh, unfortunately, that word, stewardship, has over the years been, been reduced and simplified to mean little more than giving to the church budget, just about money. In reality, stewardship, though it does include what we do with our money, and we will have one of the six Sundays about that, it is a concept that is enormous, so big, in fact, that you could even say that it is a theme of the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Stewardship is not so much about us in our activity as it is about who we are and our identity. And that's what we're going to spend the next six weeks exploring, is who are we? Who are we as stewards, partnered with God in the cultivation of his creation? We think this is so important, in fact, that uh, we wrote a six-week devotional guide to go along with this series. Um, Becca Payne and Nan Clark and I wrote this together, um, and the amazing Chris Porter designed it, and we published it. And we have one of these for everyone, I think all, every adult and teenager, I think, can take one. Please just one. I know you might love it, but just only take one. Try to restrain yourself, friends, from this devotion. And, and it, it's a, it's, I think it's an amazing resource, and it starts tomorrow and runs for six weeks every day. So I would encourage you to pick up one of these as you leave. So we're going to begin at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, which has tremendous things to say about stewardship and so important that we're going to actually kind of be parked here for a while in Genesis 1. So let's turn to God's Word. Open your Bible to Genesis 1, or it's in the bulletin on page 8. And let's read God's word together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then if you read the rest of the chapter, you'll see how God brings everything into creation, everything into existence, pronounces it good. And then in the sixth day, he creates animals. And then verse 26, God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female he created them. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. I am a big fan of Pixar. I think it's just a, a brilliant animation studio. And I especially love the Toy Story franchise. In fact, our family got to watch the fourth Toy Story movie just last weekend. Any, any of y'all seen Toy Story 4 yet? I have to say, I felt a little meh about it. Uh, I think that some of the previous, I mean, it was amazing animation-wise, but the plot was not quite as good as previous films. But here's what I love about the Toy Story franchise. I love that one of the great themes of all the Toy Story movies is the theme of identity. Who are we? Who are we? How do we know who we are? How do we know who we're for, what we're for? 
In fact, if you know the movies at all, and I apologize for those of you who haven't seen the films, in Toy Story 3, which is one of the best of the series, I think, the animal, I mean, not the animal, the toys are thrown, accidentally thrown out and they come to believe that the boy who owns them, Andy, must have not wanted them anymore. And so they're left trying to figure out, well, who are we if we don't have Andy? And yet Woody, the cowboy, insists to them, we belong to Andy. That's who we are. We belong to Andy. One of the great themes of that is that who we are is who we belong to. What makes you you is who you belong to. Friends, it is one of the big themes of this series that before stewardship is an activity, it is an identity. Before it's something that we do, it's something that we are. But how do you know who you are? How do you know your identity? You know by who you belong to. You know by looking to the one who made you and who owns you and who keeps you. And so as we start this study, what we're going to do is take a good look at God. Because if we're going to understand who we are as stewards, we need to understand who God is as creator, as giver, as owner, and redeemer. And so we're beginning here in Genesis 1. We begin with God because we know who we are when we know who we belong to. So let's take a good look at God. And let's begin with what God does in the beginning. That God creates. God creates. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before everything else was, God is. We learn from the very beginning that God is the creator, the one who brings all things into existence. This is one of the great bedrock truths of our faith. We confess it in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. So we believe this. But rarely do we flesh out the radical implications of this great truth that God is the creator and therefore is the owner of all things. Contrast that with what is the dominant truth in our society today, that the universe is an accident brought into being through sort of natural biological processes. This is a quote from a famous paleontologist named Stephen Jay Gould, who also was a historian and philosopher of science. He says, we are here because one odd group of fishes had a particular fin anatomy that could transform into legs for terrestrial creatures because comets struck the earth and wiped out dinosaurs, thereby giving mammals a chance not otherwise available. So, you know, at this point, he's doing science. And Christians can debate about science. We can debate about origins. But he then moves into this philosophical statement. He says, therefore, we may yearn for a higher answer, but none exists. This explanation, though superficially troubling, if not terrifying, is ultimately liberating and exhilarating. We must construct the answers for ourselves. Now, here's what's so jarring about what Gould is saying. He's saying that if there really is no God, if really all of this, all of creation was just brought into being through random and accidental biological processes, that he's exactly right. He's right that your life has no meaning. There's no real meaning, there's no real purpose, there's no significance, there's no moral responsibility behind your life or behind the universe. Which means that it's up to you to construct meaning for yourself and it means that nobody owns anything. Everything is up for grabs. The world is like the show and tell table at the end of the school year with all the stuff left there. You know what I'm talking about? Everything's up for grabs. <laughs> Everybody's running to just grab the stuff because it doesn't belong to anyone. Now, you may say, oh no, I'm a Christian. I don't believe that. And yet, this is the way that many of us live. Many of us live, even if we say we're Christians, believing that it's up to me to determine what my life is about. 
Uh, it's up to me to decide what to do with my time and my body and my money and my life. Nobody has the right to question it. That's become sacrilege in our society today. And this is why the biblical view is so radical, because in contrast to Gould's view that everything is an accident and therefore has no meaning, the Bible says that everything is on purpose and therefore everything has cosmic significance. There is a owner. There is a creator. And therefore there is someone behind everything who owns everything in your life and all creation. When my wife Sarah's grandmother was still alive, we used to go visit her. She lived in a small house in West Tennessee in a little town called Jackson. And she was an amazing lady. Uh, her name, we called her Mama. And uh, grew up in West Tennessee all of her life and lived in this small house that was absolutely packed with furniture and trinkets. And she left her Christmas decorations up 20, you know, 12, 12 months a year. Um, and Mama didn't want her grandkids and her kids fighting over her stuff after she died. And she told everybody to go ahead and claim what they wanted now so that she could sort of arbitrate and figure everything out. So if you walked around mama's house that was full of all this stuff, if you looked carefully, you saw that every, almost all the pieces of furniture and every trinket in the house had a little sticky note on it that had somebody's name on it. And so, you know, the, the, the chest of drawers in the room, it had a little sticky that said, Rachel. Uh, and the chair that you were sitting on or the painting up on the wall, had a little sticky label that said, Sarah. Or, you know, I remember picking up a coffee cup one day and saying, oh, there's a label on it. It says, Russ. You know, every, everything in the house had a sticky label because everything was saying, this is owned by another. And what I want you to see, friends, is that if Genesis 1-1 is true, and I believe it is, it means that everything, everything in all creation, everything in your life, everything in the universe has an invisible label on it, and every single label says God's. Every single one. Everything in your life, your body, your stuff, your time, your family, your kids, your car, your house, the, the, the creation itself, the trees and animals and everything in it, everything says God's. The world belongs to him. Do you believe that? Sure you do. A lot of you do. But the harder question is, do you live that way? Do you live that way? How differently might you live if you believe that everything is owned by another, that nothing actually belongs to you? How differently would you live if you didn't your body actually doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. Your money doesn't actually belong to you. It belongs to God. Your, your family doesn't actually belong to you. It belongs to God. Your house, your car, your stuff, nothing belongs to you. It belongs to God. How differently would you live if you put your theology down to street level and begin to work it out in your life? That's going to be one of the great implications that we begin to explore in this series, that God is the creator and therefore the owner of your life and all things. So God creates the second great thing, though, that we see that God does that tells us about stewardship in this chapter is that God entrusts. He entrusts. Look at verses 26 through 31, which is a real key text for stewardship. Now, if you were a person many thousands of years ago hearing this story for the first time, you would be shocked. Because if you were an ancient person living in the ancient world, this is your understanding of how God's worked. God's created people to be, their, to be slaves of the gods, to be minions of the gods. Just think, you know, Greek mythology here, right? The gods, um, protect, they sort of have a symbiotic relationship. The people care for the gods by providing sacrifices, and the gods then take care of the people by overseeing harvest time and weather and protecting them from harm, that sort of thing. 
So if you were reading this as an ancient person for the first time, you would be blown away by how very different Genesis 1 sounds. Because here we have a God who does not create slaves, but he creates what it says, people made like him, created to be in partnership with him. First, it says that he makes them in his image to be like him. Last night, uh, a guy from the church was over at our house and his, he had a little son there who's three. And I looked at the son and I looked at him. He was like a mini me. And I said, I said, gosh, he looks just like you. And this is what God says about us. When he makes men and women, boys and girls, he looks at us and he says, you look just like me. Because human beings, more than any other animal, more than giraffes or mountains or anything else in creation, displays the power and the glory of God. I don't care how strung out a guy is. I don't care how in the gutter a person is. I don't care how different someone is from you or you deplore their lifestyle, whatever it may be. No human, every human being is a greater and more beautiful display of the power of God than a thousand stars or a hundred comets or all the mountain ranges on the earth. A human being resembles the God who made us. We display his glory. And then that's not all. He says that he entrusts us to be his rulers in his stead. This language of image of God, scholars believe, comes from the ancient world in which kings, pagan kings, would often pronounce themselves to be the image of the gods. And they were ruling in place of those gods. And then they would set up statues or icons of themselves around their kingdom to communicate to their people that this is representing my reign around the kingdom. But the Israelites, they were forbidden from creating an image of God. Why? Because God had already made an image of himself. He made living images, men and women and boys and girls. And then he entrusted them to represent and extend his rule and reign in his kingdom. He says in verse 26, let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and over the earth. We are entrusted with God's own authority, made co-rulers, co-regents, co-laborers with God in this amazing creation that God made and that God loves. And this is really where the whole word stewardship comes from. If you look at the word steward, um, I like etymology and Steward actually comes from an 11th century Old English word from two roots. One is sty, which means house or shed, and ward, which means keeper. So a steward was a keeper of the house, a person that the owner put in charge over the domestic affairs of what he owned. And this is what God has done for us. He's made all things a good and beautiful world, and then he has entrusted it to the care of men and women called to rule and reign with him. So that raises a question. What has God entrusted to our care? Well, we see in this text that God creates us not only for relationship with himself, but he also creates us in relationship with at least three other things. Look with me at the text. First, and I have a handy little slide image here for you. So he creates us in relationship with himself, but first we see he creates us for relationship with creation. He says, he, I'm entrusting you with my world with the mountains and the birds and the sea and the ocean and everything in it. We're called to wise care and cultivation and preservation of the created world. Do you see that in the text? Second, he calls us into relationship with fellow humans. He doesn't just make nomads, he makes men and women. He makes the genders to partner with each other 
And then he calls us into partnership with fellow humanity. So we are called to be stewards of his creation in collaboration with and for the benefit of all the people of the earth. So we're in relationship with each other. And then third, we're called into a healthy relationship with the self. What I mean by that is that God has entrusted many things to each of you personally. He's given you a body. He's given you a certain measure of time with that body, certain measure of minutes and hours and years. Uh, He's given you gifts and talents, abilities. He's made you a, a creator. You know, you can create art and labor and families and culture and civilization. And God is calling you into a healthy relationship with yourself and all that he has entrusted to you that is given to you from his hand to use for his glory. And so in all three of these key relationships with creation, with other people, and with what ourselves and what we've been given, we're called to be stewards, to be keepers of someone else's stuff, whether it's animals or plants or oceans, whether it's kids or neighborhood or community, whether it's time or talent or treasure, you have been called and made to be a partnership with God in the cultivation of all creation. The same God who made mountains and palm trees and sloths and giraffes and cockroaches. This same God called you to be in partnership with himself in extending life and flourishing to all people and all creation. Isn't that amazing? What dignity. Do you, do you see, what, look in the mirror. What dignity you have. What honor. What nobility. What worth. What responsibility. You are a beautiful image of God called to be in partnership with him forever. So this is, we're learning what it means to be a steward. And it comes from, first of all, the fact that God creates and the second that God entrusts. But we have to look at one last thing that really extends beyond this text that tells us about stewardship. And that is that God redeems. God redeems. Let me tell you a little bit of a story about stewardship gone wrong. When I was about 12 years old, um, I was at that age when my parents were just beginning to trust me uh, that I could stay at the house with my little sister without a babysitter. And so they, they left one day. It was one of the first times they did this, and they left and entrusted me with the care of my little sister, and she actually had a little friend over. Not sure what they were thinking, but hey. Um, and if you are a kid in the house, please just do not do what I'm about to tell you, okay? And so um, here we were, and uh, the story is a little fuzzy. I called my dad and talked to him about it, and we're, the, the Widmer historical records are a little fuzzy on actually what happened here. But at some point, my, sis- my sister made me very angry, and I picked up a chair to scare her, and I began to swing the chair around my head. Now, my sister Kylie says that I purposely threw the chair. In my recollection, it was accidentally released from my hands. But in any case, the chair flew across the room and landed, crashed into our 40-gallon fish tank. And all 40 gallons of water and all the fish began to pour into the carpet on the floor. How do you like that? You know, no cell phones. I can't like be like, hey, mom, come help. Uh, so two hours later, they get home. My sister and her friend are, are crying. Um, I'm on the floor with every towel in the house, sopping up water from the carpet, surrounded by dead fish. So in a single act of selfishness, 
I destroyed my family's family room. I killed all of the fish. I terrorized my little sister and I broke my parents' trust. It is what theologically we would call a cataclysmic disruption of stewardship. <laughs> and not to make light of, not to make light of what human rebellion did to creation. But let us use this as an analogy for what happened. Because I mean, man, look, this is a beautiful image, right? Man and woman partnered together with the triune God, caring and cultivating for all creation and every living thing. I mean, that's beautiful, man, isn't it? But Genesis 3 comes quickly. And the serpent is a liar. The devil is a liar, man. And he begins to lie to Adam and Eve and they believe the lie of Satan that God didn't love them, that God didn't want the best for them. He doesn't want them to be like him. And so they rebel against God's rule. They take matters into their own hands. They decide we're gonna be our own owners, our own rulers. And so their single choice shatters everything. One act of selfishness, you know, throwing the, the chair into the proverbial fish tank of the universe shatters everything and extends sin and suffering into every corner of creation. And let's just be clear, their choice does not just sever and break humans' relationship with God, but it shatters everything. So, though we are designed to rule God's earth on his behalf, dominion has now been warped into domination and ruling has now become abusing. Designed to serve alongside fellow humans, we now find our relationships are marked by competition and suspicion and fear anger and distrust and designed to live at peace with ourselves and with what God has given us. Now each of us are marked by insecurity and, and pride. Uh, we waste our gifts. We feel ashamed of our bodies. Uh, we destroy ourselves through indulging our appetites and destructive desires. We boast in our labors as if they were our own. See, the story of the Bible, do you see the story of the Bible is a story of disrupted stewardship. The destruction and the shattering of God's intended purposes. But here's the good news. God redeems. And he will not give up on his people, nor he does not give up on his creation. And so he comes to a childless pagan named Abraham. And he makes a promise. He says, I'm going to choose you and I'm going to bless your family and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then out of that family comes a single man, the king, the God-man, the Messiah who came among us. And let's be clear, friends, Jesus came among us not just to be our savior, but to embody what humanity was always meant to be. He embodies what it means to be a steward. He embodied what it meant to have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with creation and a right relationship with fellow humans and a right relationship with ourselves. He embodies all of that. And then in his life and death and resurrection, he restores. He restores everything that is shattered and he reconciles not just with God, but with all things, as Paul says in Colossians 1, for God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself in Christ. Jesus, through his death for us, his life and resurrection for us, takes every square inch of everything that was shattered and he restores it to wholeness yet again. And now every person, you and I, every one of us is invited to be in Christ, to trust in Christ, to be baptized into Christ and to be united with Christ, and to be filled with Christ, and to be filled with his spirit, and to be filled with his presence. Why? So that you can not just be saved, but that you can be restored in your humanity. So that you can become a wise steward again. 
so that you can have your own relationship with creation, humanity, self, and then, of course, with God, restored forever. So the gospel is way bigger than just a ticket to heaven when you die. The gospel is the good news of the reconciliation of all things and about how you get to become who you were always meant to be, partnered with God, fulfilling your destiny, working alongside him for the good of humanity and the glory of God. So God redeems. And I want you to hear this, friends. Some of you might be out there and you might be thinking, look, I relate with that fish tank, right? I've shattered things. I've shattered my life. I've messed up my kids. I've messed up my career and my family, and there's no reclaiming it. Y'all, I just want you to hear it in Jesus, you cannot mess up your life too much. You cannot mess up your kids too much. You cannot mess up your career and your future too much or your body too much. In Jesus, united with him, God redeems and he reclaims and he gives you new life and new opportunity to finally be fully human again and to be reconciled to God and everything else with Jesus forever. God redeems. So what have we learned in Genesis 1 about God? We've learned that God creates, God entrusts, and God redeems. And remember what we said in the beginning, who we are is who we belong to. And who do you belong to? You belong to the God who creates and entrusts and redeems. And that means you are not an accident. You are not a minion of some unknown God. You are not owners. You are not self-made, self-sufficient makers and takers. You are God's beloved child who is called to be a steward. You are called to partner with him in bringing life and healing to creation. So let me just close with two just quick applications. First, a challenge. I think this will be a challenging series for me and for you. Why? Because I think, frankly, most of the time, we live like owners and not like stewards. I know I do. I mean, I, I have been deeply challenged by my own mentality of ownership, even in the preparing of this message and the stuff I've read the last few weeks. I think that even those of us who are mature followers of Jesus, many of us live as if everything belongs to us. The earth, our kids, our bodies, our time, our money, our houses, our family, our cars, our everything. I mean... Just about a week and a half ago, I got a surprising, unexpected check in the mail from the Virginia Department of Taxation for $220, right? Then you all get that? Some of y'all are shaking your heads. I opened it up, I looked at it. The first thing that came to my head was, hmm, what can I buy? <laughs> what will I do with this? And then it wasn't until the writing of this sermon that I realized that that is the mentality of ownership. The owner asks, what will I do with what I have? The steward asks, what does the master want with what he's given? Randy Alcorn says, a steward manages assets for the owner's benefit. The steward carries no sense of entitlement to what he manages. It's the steward's job to find out what the owner wants done and then to carry out the owner's will. So friends, your entire life is a life of stewardship. Every, you don't own anything. Everything belongs to him. And so if you know Jesus, then one of your callings in life is to remember, is to be found faithful to the master, to see everything that God has entrusted to you, everything, and to surrender it and to say, what would you have me do with what you have given? It is full surrender. So this is going to be a challenge. But second, I think this stewardship is a great comfort because so much of modern life is characterized by anxiety and fear and stress and despair. Have you noticed that? We have so much stuff, and yet we are so anxious and afraid. We're so anxious and afraid about our money and our bodies and our relationships, our families and our earth. 
And I think at the root of this is the lie of the devil, that you are alone, that you are alone, and that it's up to you to save your own life. It's up to you to make your own way in the world. It's like Lotso the bear in Toy Story 3, the evil Lotso the bear, when he says to the toys, all you are is plastic made to be thrown away. But friends, we know because of the gospel that it's not true, that we are not accidents of a random biological process. We are not minions of some aloof and distant God. You belong to someone. You belong to someone. You are loved. You are treasured. You belong to your king. You were made for him. You were made like him. You were made to live with him. You were made to partner with him. You were made to be on mission with him and you have unspeakable dignity and worth because you belong to the triune God. And guess what? You are safe. Your life is not out of control. It never will be. The world is not out of control. It never will be. You belong to the one. We belong to the one who created and owns all things. And now in Christ, you have untold purpose, unspeakable meaning, because now in Christ, you know what you're here for. You know the meaning of life. To be in relationship with God and to be in partnership with him and bringing life and healing to the world and to all creation, to reclaim what is lost, to comfort and to bless, to restore what's broken, to work for his kingdom, to extend his peace to all people. Years ago, I was driving in the country and I saw a man, a farmer on his tractor plowing the fields. And I looked carefully and I saw that there was a little boy in his lap, presumably his son. And the son was looking up at his dad and the dad was looking down at his son and they both had this look of, they were both smiling and they had this look of great joy on their face as they plowed the field together as he was secure in his father's arms. And friends, that is a picture of stewardship. Stewardship is knowing that you're loved, knowing that you belong to another, knowing that you are secure and that nothing can ever be taken out of his control and knowing that you have unspeakable purpose and meaning because you are with the one who loves you, partnering with him in the care and the cultivation and the renewal of all creation. You will never, ever, ever find a meaning for your life and a significance that is greater and more beautiful than that. And that's what God wants for you. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, that though so many of us wake up in the morning sometimes wondering what life is for and we don't even know why we're here and we sometimes feel like we don't have any meaning or purpose to our lives, we thank you that Jesus has taken on our curse um, and has healed what is broken so that we can be restored to our meaning and purpose in life. Thank you that Jesus restores us to relationship with you and that he restores us in relationship with creation, with other people, and even ourselves so that we can be stewards. We can be wisely, faithfully use what you've entrusted into our hands. Teach us that, we pray, in the coming weeks. In Jesus' name, amen.